everyone. I'm Louise Rumble and I am so excited to introduce Open House, a fresh, fun and real podcast that explores the amazing impact that therapy and human connection can have on all areas of our lives. This is Open House and everyone is invited. We hope you enjoy. Hey guys, Louise Rumble here and I am so excited to share today's episode of Open House with you. I think this episode is super relevant for anyone that has ever felt that they needed to be the smartest or the prettiest or the fittest or the thinnest and they've had to take actionable and sustained steps towards basically just being someone that they're not. For me, because I've always been historically quite messy as a teenager and a younger adult, I never really thought that the term perfectionist was right for me. I always imagined the perfectionist as the homemaker who had everything in perfect order, or the perfect girl with the perfect makeup, eyelashes and nails. That just never really felt like me. I was more likely to be losing my phone or running late for the bus than to be the girl that was on time. But when I started to read a book called Perfectionism, and I'll link the book in the show notes, I was blown away by how obvious it was that perfectionism has dominated my life. And that's something that we really dig into in today's episode. My key takeaway from this reading was that perfectionism isn't about perfecting specific things such as your job, a project or the way you look. The author of the book says, perfectionism signals a problematic relationship with the self. It's not a way of thinking, it's a way of being in the world. This totally knocked me for six and listening back to this podcast, it really has become clear to me how much of my drivers were coming from a place of lack, that I needed to be more of something, to be more lovable or more worthy. Another thing I found super interesting was that the book explained that researchers now understand that perfectionism can be tied back to your attachment style and thus likely to be passed down from one generation to another. For me, it got me seriously thinking. Was my perfectionism as a result of growing up around my mother's almost OCD-like behaviour as the matriarch of the house? Or was my perfectionism as a result of trying to hit a standard of behaviour that would allow me to truly connect with my father and feel loved? I also spent a large portion of my childhood thinking that my brother was the favoured sibling. Did that make me feel like I needed to strive to be more of a certain way? Whatever it was, this episode was amazing at drilling down into what's been going on and where it might have come from. I hope that by listening to, you might be able to go on a similar journey and come out the other end with your very own light bulb moment. So now it's over to me and Dr. Helen. So last week we were thinking about perfectionism because it's a real theme that runs through your life. Where do you really notice perfectionism being a problem and perhaps holding you back? Honestly, literally everywhere. I have to close my eyes and feel into this. But it's only recently that I have started to realise it's a problem. Until I became slightly more in tune and emotionally aware and started on my therapy journey, I honestly just thought, that's me and everyone else is... I don't know. I just wasn't aware of it. Yeah. Whereas now I see it everywhere like from work I'm a crazy perfectionist like I have a vision if it's not going in the way I'd seen it it's really difficult to work Mm. with me because I know where I want to go Mm. so work is bad exercise body food Mm. everything I have a standard that I should be upholding to but obviously it's not possible to reach this sky high standard constantly so yeah it's exhausting becoming more aware of it in almost every area Well, it sounds difficult to need everything to be perfect. And we'll think about how perfectionism holds you back. But let's first think about what are the benefits of being a perfectionist? Why is it hung around for so long? 
I feel like the benefits of perfectionism is that I know if I've given whatever I'm doing 110%, then it almost matters less what the outcome is because I know I gave it everything. Mm. So if something doesn't work or it fails, it's not because I didn't give enough to it. Why is it hung around for so long? I just feel like it's part of me. Honestly, I'm not sure what good it really brings to my life because it's really an unachievable level of expectation Mm. that means I'm constantly living disconnected from where I feel that I should be. So actually, it's a constant source of unhappiness. Yeah. I wonder, though, whether that thing of it's just this constant source of unhappiness is that actually maybe an epiphany you've had now and perhaps a little while ago there were some benefits to being a perfectionist perhaps you're able to grow your business because you just wouldn't let go until it was just right yeah I think if I look back at my teenage years by being a perfectionist and an overworker I managed to get all the straight A's that Mm. potentially I don't know if the school thought I was going to get and then I managed to get in to one of the best colleges at one of the best universities where Everyone says, oh, you won't ever get into that college. There's too many people applying to it. So I guess in that regard, it probably got me to the places that I potentially didn't necessarily knew if I deserved. Mm. So that's that's interesting. So you actually need to work 110%. You need to be perfect in order to achieve your goals. Yeah, exactly that. Mm. Wow, it just gave me a bit of goosebumps. (laughs) Because when you then go one step further... Obviously, I was trying to become a lawyer, so you apply for so many training contracts, Mm. and I got rejected from so many of them. But that's just how it goes. Like, you just get rejected from so many of them, whether you're going for banking or whatever. And then I got given one, but the story that I got given one was quite an interesting one, which is I was on my internship two weeks, and they asked me to stay the night. They had a huge deal on. They needed me to stay the night. So I worked all night, Mm. and I slept in a sleeping pod, but it was all over the press, all over lawyer.com everything saying firm keeps intern all night on an internship and you know obviously I was in the point where I was desperate for this job Mm. there's no way I was going to turn around and be like no I'm not going to do it Mm. of course they did it and I was happy to do it but then they gave me the job and almost like forever onwards I've kind of felt that I got the job just because of that Mm. experience so I think it ties probably back again not my place to do the psychoanalysis here but (laughs) almost that I never felt quite good enough But if I gave it 110%, I just about got there every time. And then going into business, I mean, if you don't, yeah, putting 110% into your business is dangerous because it just takes everything it has from you. But I felt like if I didn't, I wasn't doing good enough. (sighs) Wow. Yeah. And when you put 110% into, let's say, your career, of course, it has an impact on other aspects of your life. So we can see a little bit how perfectionism has helped you, but what are some of the main areas of your life where perfectionism has really held you back? I would just say that generally it's just been so detrimental to my physical health, my mental health, and giving 110% to something means what I've learned is not evenly distributing my energy amongst other things that need it. So, for example, at the height of my business, I'd be sleeping four hours a night. I'd be surviving on black coffee. Mm. I'd be getting delivery, like sometimes McDonald's, just literally on delivery in the evening. Mm. 
I was giving 110% with my brain power into this business, yeah. but I was neglecting everything else. I wasn't sleeping, I wasn't eating, I wasn't hanging out with my friends. And I think that not only physically, but also mentally, like you just live with this pressure that's just mm. like relentless. The noise in your head constantly, like your to-do list running around. And if you even try and take a day off, it's like, well, why are you taking a day off? You've got all these things to do, mm. go and do them. So I say that the detriments have just been like, you just can't stop. You just got to keep going. Yeah. So it sounds like perfectionism really had a huge hold on your life, a real grip on your life. And I want to understand how you let it have such a big grip on your life. So what would it mean to not be perfect? I actually just don't have an answer for that. I've lived with striving towards being a certain version of myself for so long that the thought of... That's not true. I do have an answer for it because over the last nine months, I've started to sit with the fact that no one is perfect mm. and that that's okay. Mm-hmm. But it makes me feel like I'm less worthy mm-hmm. if I'm not succeeding. Mm. I, so if you're not perfect, you're less worthy. Who would you be less worthy than? I guess the other people that are out there succeeding. So I guess it's a bit of a comparison that I was less than Mm. so less than the other people who were succeeding or less than the people who were achieving the goals that I feel like I should be achieving Mm -hmm. a little bit less worthy less valuable Mm. less of a success it Mm. would being a bit more normal Mm. maybe very honest yeah and and what's so bad about being normal if we take you know peel that onion away and take that next layer down I think that I grew up in a childhood and adolescence where normal wasn't really an option. Mm. Yeah, so being normal isn't an option. That, in a nutshell, I literally feel that being normal is not an option. Mm. Um, How interesting. Okay, so let's pause there and go one level deeper. Why is being normal not an option? Because I feel like I have to succeed Mm. and... I probably have a warped view of what success is, and that is achieving, achieving, achieving. So it's about needing to be successful, needing to achieve, because if you don't achieve, what would happen? I think I would disappoint my family, Mm -hmm. and I would disappoint myself. And I would almost feel like everything I've gone through, all the education Mm. was pointless. Mm -hmm. Like my father and my mother have worked so hard Mm. to put me into private education. So I would almost feel like it was a waste. It was a waste. And they've almost like sacrificed their life. Mm. Like my father has worked so hard for so long. And I know that so many people do, but Mm. his was like to an extreme yeah so that's something you've internalized that if you're not a success you will be a disappointment potentially to your family and that everything they sacrifice will have been a waste yeah Mm. definitely and if you did disappoint them if they did think actually I wish I hadn't done that then what what would that mean I felt a bit sick when you asked that question that's interesting isn't Mm -hmm. it I think that I would feel like they had almost wasted their life Mm. providing for me to then just go and do this amazing education and university career to then just turn around and Mm. not do anything with it. Whoa. So you've actually got the pressure of two people's lives (laughs) 
on you. And that's driving your perfectionism. So if they did waste their lives, I'm not sure we're quite at the centre, epicentre of it yet. If they did waste their lives, then what? What does that mean? I think it gets difficult here because I know that they don't feel like they've wasted their lives doing it. But I feel like they've sacrificed so much for me yeah. that I have to step up and have something to show for it. Yeah. I guess I'm just curious as to what if you were a real failure, you know, didn't achieve any of your goals, really needed them to prop you up. What would that mean about you? I know that they would love me even if I turned around and never worked a day again in my life because I've had this discussion with them about mm. how I drive myself so hard and fast. Mm. So I don't know. Well, I guess from some of our conversations, I'm wondering if maybe you'd feel a bit worthless. Yeah, for sure. I definitely, yeah, I definitely would feel worthless and like, what's my point in even doing anything? Mm -hmm. Because I think that to achieve has almost been part of why I'm here. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. At this point, listening back and looking back at my behaviour across the years, it was becoming very clear that I felt that striving to hit all of the goals at the same rate as those around me without falling behind was a huge part of my journey to self-worth and a way of seeking validation. It also makes sense as to why I've constantly been so busy over the years, always working, always at the gym, always trying to get somewhere else and always trying to make myself feel proud and worthy. This was quite a light bulb moment for me in terms of how goal-oriented and driven my life had been and how my default coping mechanism was just to try harder, to be better and to then feel more worthy. It's definitely one that I'm going to take on board in terms of trying to be more patient and accepting, in terms of loving myself for who I am and not for what I am achieving. So you still can have worth without being uber successful in every single category, especially business. You can still be a worthy person without a business. That's interesting because it does come back to your own level of self-worth, doesn't it? Yeah. And knowing that... And that doesn't sit well with you, me saying you are enough. <laughs> yeah, I can see you're like, I'm not sure I believe you. Yeah, it doesn't. But probably because maybe I never felt like I was enough without all those achievements... Or maybe because I've just never sat with the thought of am I enough without all those achievements. Mm. I think that when I stepped back from my business, that's when I first realised like, whoa, mm. because that was taken away. Yeah. And um, you're vulnerable, I guess. Yeah. And it's like a very long process that I'm going through. Mm. Like I'm working now, but I'm just doing a small number of consultancy jobs that I choose to take on. I'm still in that position of I'm not working in the way that I was. I'm not running a six-figure business anymore. I'm not taking in a big salary anymore. Mm. So it's something that I'm still slowly coming to terms with that you can be worthy and valued just by being you. Mm. And you neglected that part, didn't you? 
actually your essence and who you are was the one thing you neglected. And I think this is something through therapy and through stepping back from the business that you want to address. And it's funny, isn't it? Because a lot of us are drawn to, let's say, financial success and things like that. And yet studies show that it does absolutely nothing. Once your basic needs are met, your financial success has no bearing on your well-being. And so it's much more important to focus on your social connections, on gratitude, on pursuing meaningful goals, finding flow. All of those things are so much more important to your well-being. And I think another thing that's been changing, I guess, is your body. So I think you were, when you were a bit more active on social media, your body was, you know, really striking. It's like, whoa, six pack and all that. And I'm wondering if your relationship to your body as well is more healthy. I think that my relationship with my body has always been quite tumultuous. At this point, I spent some time explaining to Dr. Helen that I'd always been quite athletic as a child. It had never really been a problem, but it was only when girls started to suffer from severe anorexia and bulimia at boarding school that I started to become very aware of why people wanted to be smaller. Looking back, school and families were not really having the conversation that people have all different types of bodies and that we're all beautiful in our own way. It's something that I definitely think I would have benefited from and something that I would love to pick up early on with any future kids that I might have. From that point onwards, my relationship with food and exercise has fluctuated and been really quite tumultuous. Today, however, I'm starting to treat my body with a little bit more respect. I've obviously, through lockdown, not really been exercising as much. I stopped exercising um, in LA when my pain was so bad. Mm. I've definitely put on weight. Mm. Like, I'm very athletic, but I put on weight very quickly Mm. and I eat a lot. And so it's been something that I've had to learn to love, that I'm probably naturally quite curvy, Mm. athletic curvy. Yeah, yeah. And that when I'm not in the gym five times a week... I am a more natural womanly body, mm-hmm. which is something it's taken a little while to come to terms with. And I feel sometimes I find it hard to say that because a lot of people would be like, what are you talking about? Mm-hmm. Like, you're actually deluded. You look mm-hmm. great or whatever. But for me, it's like the difference between that extra stone of basically fat that mm-hmm. goes on or off, which mm-hmm. I'm now carrying It's taken a while for me to come to terms with and I think that it definitely impacts what I think I should be versus like probably loving myself for naturally what I am. Mm. So it sounds like where you were before was this quite perfectionist thing of like my body is this way but that's not perfect so I'm going to drive it until it becomes perfect and now you're coming to a place of acceptance of just gratitude for how your body is and just accepting the the swerves and curves but I want to understand let's again do this downward arrowing exercise so what would it have meant to not have had the perfect body I guess that it just ties back to this vision of me that I think should exist which is that I shouldn't be carrying excess fat in places that I don't need it and I feel more confident when my body is tight and strong. Yeah. I like being that way and I feel less attractive when I'm holding weight that I feel like mm. doesn't need to be there. Okay, and so going one level deeper, what's so bad about being unattractive in your eyes? I think it ties back to the not being perfect point, not reaching this vision in my head, which is like mm. having a great body, having a great career. Mm-hmm. So I think, again, it would tie back to me feeling like less worthy, Mm. less attractive to the opposite sex. Mm. I think that's like a 
dangerous part of this whole cycle. And I hate even talking about this because I do not believe that women should be on this planet for the gaze of the other sex. Like, Mm. it's not, that's not how I stand now. Mm. But I think that for many, many years before this, Mm. I probably did feel that way, you know. Mm. I want people to think I'm pretty. Men think this is pretty. Mm. I need to look like this. Yeah. So if we were thinking about the next layer down, would it actually be split at this point where if you weren't athletic, you wouldn't be successful and you wouldn't be attractive to men. Yeah, I would say that if I wasn't living with that body type that I knew I could, I wouldn't be reaching my potential. I wouldn't be as successful as I could be in that capacity. I wouldn't have reached the success of being able to master my body. Mm. Is there something about like weakness then? If I don't have a perfect body, it's because I'm lazy or because I haven't been strong enough, I'm not disciplined enough. Yeah, I mean, that's hitting a nerve with me mm. because I... I'm not kind to myself or haven't been kind to myself Mm. in the understanding that our bodies are here to survive, uh, to support us and Mm. keep us alive and be nourished. It was very much like a, if you don't do the things that you know you can do to lose the weight, then you're weak Mm. or you're not. Come on, Louise, just like get it together. Just Mm. go to the gym a bit more and stop eating the food. Mm. So I guess there probably is some punitive cycle around it and, Maybe not so much weakness, but more just like failure just to like do what I need to do. Mm -hmm. And do you think that's the epicentre of it? Or is there another layer? I think it just ties back to the fact that I have an expectation Mm -hmm. and I know what I need to do to get there. And if I can't do it, then I just feel like a failure. Mm. (laughs) So it's either got to be 100 to 110% success or you failed. Yeah, that's it. And I feel like, you know, right now I'm sitting at like a normal body weight, carrying a bit of fat, and that is where I should be able to be happy at. But Mm. still, even though I'm accepting, more accepting of my body than I've ever been, and I like it and I appreciate the curves, even this week when all this, when all the gyms opened again, I was thinking, should I just go and book into all these classes and just get back on the spinning bike four or five times a week? Now I have awareness that no, that's not what you need to do. But that mindset. Yeah is still there like the just go 110 percent, but that mindset doesn't align with the being kind to my body oh well it just makes me so happy to hear you be compassionate because you're so hard on yourself yeah and this when it comes to your body anyway this is a really good example to me that you've like you're showing growth and finding a more balanced view of yourself yeah thank you I definitely feel like I'm making progress becoming more compassionate Mm. but still that hard wiring in my brain is like sure as hell firing Mm. against the compassion almost so I think what you're describing is kind of low self-esteem or a kind of wobbly self-esteem yeah I definitely just think that you know it's unstable yeah I think that in some areas it's really good and really high and I'm really confident Mm. and then in some areas there's just a couple of things where you know my the way my body looks is still being tied into my self-esteem and I think that the identity piece is has been impacting my self-esteem for a while Mm. yeah how you looked was something that maybe propped up your self-esteem I guess we've also touched on being a success in business propped up your self-esteem what are some of those other pillars that propped up your how you felt about yourself 
What about your education? I wouldn't say that my education ties into my self-esteem so much. Mm. I definitely think that my appearance has been a huge one. Mm. And yeah, my success in business. Yeah, was the other. Yeah, were probably my main two. Well, how interesting, because I guess if we use the analogy of an oil rig at sea, there'll be different factors and different pillars that are holding up your self-esteem. And when your self-esteem is stable, all those pillars are pretty fixed. So it could be knowing that you're a great person, having good friendships, etc, etc. But in your case, it sounds like, at least historically, how you looked and your success in business were two pillars kind of propping up your self-esteem. So I wonder now how that oil rig is sitting at sea. Does it feel unstable? Is it, what's it like? Stepping back from my business meant that that entire pillar of the oil rig just came off. The ability to lean on that as a pillar for self-esteem became more difficult to do so because I wasn't working and mm. the business wasn't there and we didn't have an office anymore and mm. I didn't have a big team sitting there every day. So that's definitely become more wobbly. Mm. And then the other big pillar, the way I look and my body, I've put on some weight, I'm getting older, that pillar's wobbly too. But I think the great thing is, is that through my own self-development journey, I've realised that the other pillars of the oil rig are so important. Yeah, so, so you were neglecting the other ones. Exactly. And I now, you know, focus like the friendship pillar yeah. as a pillar of self-esteem is one that I hadn't, it wasn't a stable pillar before because I worked so hard. Mm. But now I spend, every day I spend some time nurturing at least one one friendship. Mm. So I feel like even though the the, the way I look and the business pillars have got a bit wobbly. Mm. I'm learning that I need to balance all the other pillars mm. as well. Build up the other pillars. And I guess with your appearance, you know, as much as you can get Botox and you can get liposuction and stuff, ageing changes your appearance. And we live in a society where youth and glowing skin and a tiny body is something that's rewarded. So I wonder what your relationship is to ageing and just the inevitability of no longer being perfect. Yeah, so I'm definitely seeing a couple of signs of ageing. Not many, just mm. like my smile lines are becoming really pronounced. I'm getting a couple of fine lines on my forehead. I'm just starting to see a couple of minor signs yeah. and it's quite scary. Yeah, I guess I'm in a slightly different stage of life. I'm a mum and I don't really go out partying anymore. And I guess you're still out there. You know, you're not at home with kids like, and vomit down your top. <laughs> yeah, so do you think there's more of a pressure that you still look good and you still look youthful because you're still in that stage of life? Yeah, 100%. There is a understanding in society almost that when you get married and have kids... You're signed on the dotted line, isn't yeah, you? Like that, I, that's your person, that's your kid, like, let's do this. If I end up being single, yeah, that pressure is huge because I feel like I'm back on the market mm. and I'm going to be being judged about how I look. Yeah. And that's what upsets me and scares me as well because I now understand that I want to connect with a human being not just about how I look. But we live in a society where we're still so judged on how we look and, oh, she's fit. It's pressure for yeah. sure and particularly in that environment and this is what my mum's always said is like oh people look at you and they just think you're so fun and you're so fabulous and like life's great and they never actually see that underneath it all you're actually really sensitive and like mm. you actually have gone through quite a lot so yeah I feel like it's going to change the way that I connect with people which is that 
I don't want it to be about how I look and alternatively about how they look because it's about more than that isn't it yeah I'm starting to learn so much more that it's just not that stereotypical cliche of it's just like not about what you look like Mm. but it's hard in a society where every single other girl on Instagram has lip fillers and then you feel like oh well that's the thing isn't it it's with social media it is about filters increasing the brightness increasing the contrast making your day what was already an extraordinary day and <laughs> probably curated it, it gets taken to like an unrealistic height and think actually there are studies that show that the more time you spend on social media the more unhappy you can be no it's true because 100%. your life can just look so pale in comparison to these glossy uh, enhanced photos It's true and that's something that I want to change is that I want to help people understand that like reality is is okay to be shared. I made that joke about the lip fillers but I went online and the first three girls that I swiped down on my Instagram feed all had fake lips and there's nothing wrong with having fake lips. If you want to do a cosmetic enhancement I'm all for it but it was the first time ever that it impacted me. Yeah. Normally I just don't think anything of it, just swipe past it. For the first time ever I just felt like should I get my lips done? And so, yeah, the impact of these Insta babes, Mm. Insta models who are flying all over the world with their perfect boyfriends and their perfect bodies and their amazing boobs and fake lips, like, it never impacted me before. Mm. And maybe that's because before I felt good in my body. Yeah, well, those two pillars, which were your business and your appearance, you know, were propping everything up. And now you're having to find different props. But I guess, and correct me if I'm wrong, but when you're looking at these glossy pictures of these perfect bodies, all of a sudden you're normal. And for all the reasons we've gone through, being normal isn't okay for you. Yeah, exactly that. But the challenge that you and me and, and everyone face is how do we feel enough by being normal? And it's like a really tricky question, isn't it? And you're having to redefine that. So I'm curious how you can feel enough now and what your new life objectives are. Yeah, so I think looking back, my objectives were very material and shiny. Mm. So I really wanted to have a great, successful business and a um, great partner. And I wanted to have a, you know, a really nice big house like Mm -hmm. in Richmond and, you know, be able to go on great holidays all over the world. Mm. Now I'm starting to realise that happiness has to come from within and your own contentment and I haven't found it totally yet, Mm. but what I have found is that by having more realistic life objectives that enable me to nurture the softer, more compassionate side of me, Mm -hmm. it gives me a... I've got a couple of those objectives now, which are that I want to live a pain-free life. So that objective would have been that I would have used to have wanted to be you know, skinny and athletic and looking great. (laughs) So now it's just that I want to live a pain-free life and Mm. nourish my body so Mm. it's healthy. The second one is that I want to um, do something in business that helps people. Before, that would have been running, you know, an agency and building a business quite shiny. And Mm. now it's that I want to make enough money to live a good, normal life Mm. and help people along the way. Three, I want to nurture my friendships around me. So in times of crisis, there will be a network of people there for me and I can be there for them in Mm. return. That wasn't even on my list before. Like, I didn't have anything to do with that. A fourth one is that I want to, you know be a conscious parent if Mm. I get that opportunity in life and what does that mean well right now that means me going through my own therapy journey Mm. so I can understand exactly who I am Mm. so if I'm in the lucky situation that I get to parent a child Mm. 
I can do it consciously. Yeah. So I feel like I've got these more life objectives that are more wholesome, life more wholesome life mm. objectives. And I feel like for me, it helps me stay grounded in yeah. terms of a more realistic, kind, compassionate journey mm. rather than constantly striving for a journey that is just so achievable, unachievable, but just like painful just to constantly like be striving for something yeah. that doesn't necessarily even bring me happiness. Yes, yeah. And I guess that, that pace of life, that frenetic pace just makes me think of like going down a hill really fast. Like sometimes it can be hard to steer your little go-kart, but if you just take your time then you can navigate and you can be a bit more sure about the direction you want to go in yeah definitely I find that that's a good point as well is that being happy with who we are if you're constantly running 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 you're always looking ahead to the direction that you're hurtling Mm -hmm. towards Mm -hmm. so just slowing down and checking in every day and just I just feel like I'm just living a slower pace of life now and that in turn is helping me just sit with a bit more gratitude a bit more presence and that's so beautiful and a lovely place to end So, you know, continue striving towards that because your default is going to be that city pace, you know, really fast that there is you do have that masculine energy and that part of you that wants to keep striving. So as best you can, just come back to home base and then you can make sure you're going in the right direction. Wow. Well, what a session. Thank you so much, Louise, um, for coming today. I look forward to seeing you next time. Me too. I'll see you next week. See you. Bye. Bye. Hey guys, wow, what an episode. I loved how we were able to run through so many situations in different areas of my life. Work, my body, aging, my relationship with men, and tie them all back to the underlying driver, which is that I've just always felt that I had to be more of something to be more worthy and more valuable. I think there's definitely something further to drill down here into my family life and potentially why I feel this way. But for now, the clarity around needing more self-love and more self-worth for who I am not what I'm achieving is a great step forward. I'm hoping that you found this episode helpful and that maybe you were able to use the oil rig analogy to think about what's propping up your self-esteem. Or maybe you were able to think about your own life objectives and consider moving them from external metrics to internal ones. If you had any light bulb moments, please do reach out and share them with me on social media. You can find me at I am Louise Rumble and you can reach out to me and the Open House team at Open House Life. If you enjoyed this podcast, please do subscribe and share with your friends. Any reviews on the Apple Store would also be greatly appreciated. So this is Open House. Our goal is to normalise these conversations and get people talking. I will speak to you all very soon when I'm back in the therapy room. Much love.